0: Beautiful song, Heath. The blood of Jesus will never lose its power, amen? And it does, in fact, fit with our sermon this morning. Uh, As we uh, unpack it here in just a minute, we'll see uh, that the blood of Jesus has a lot to do with loving our brother and sister in the Lord. Now, if you've got kids, you are familiar with this uh, age-old dance that goes on when kids ask for something and we as parents tell them no the response comes back, why? And sometimes you can try to explain to the children, and and, and it's good to always try to do that if you can, Uh, but sometimes I think they're not necessarily looking for explanations. They just want you to change your mind. And so at the end of the day, it all comes down to the rebuttal, because I said so. When I was a kid, I used to hate that. I'm like, that's not a reason. You know, give me a reason. And, you know, because I said so, and now I find myself using that on occasion. And when you find out kids, just, they don't want a reason at all. They, you finally just, just tell them because I said so. We are coming up in our series through John's letters here in 1 John. We're actually going to find ourselves in a three-part mini-series entitled Good Reasons to Love Your Brother. Now, we could say, well, why is that? And the answer would come back because God said so. And that would be sufficient. There would be no rebuttal or there would be no argument on our behalf because God said so would be enough. But God does provide us with several reasons. We see uh, beginning here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11 through 11 today in our first part of this mini-series. And the answer comes back to us, Love your brothers and sisters in Christ because God loves you. Because of the love of God that he has for you, your response of appreciation to God is to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ. I want to invite you to stand if you're able to this morning out of reverence for the reading of God's holy word. We'll be in 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7 this morning. And John writes these words as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. and sent His Son to to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for Your love today, Your love that led You to send Jesus into this world so that He might live in our place and that He might die in our place, so that through Him we might come to receive everlasting life. We thank You for the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. and We pray today, God, that we would honor You in our response to You. That we would love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. and We would also love our neighbor as ourself. Father, I pray that through the power of Your Word today You would stir our hearts and our minds, draw us into Your throne room today. We thank You for that privilege we have And Lord, as you draw us close to you, I pray that you would transform our lives. Empower us, God, to love one another because you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we have found ourselves in chapter 4 of this letter, we have already seen that John is very repetitious repeats himself a lot. And it's not because John is senile and has forgotten what he's already written and is writing it again. Although at this point in time, John refers to himself as the elder and he probably is advanced in years, but the repetition is not because he's forgotten what he's writing, but the repetition is for emphasis. And remember the main theme of the entire letter, of the entire letter is to help his readers to distinguish genuine from false Christians that there were false teachers threatening the church with all kinds of heresy, and John was writing this letter to establish a a standard, a plumb line for what is true against what is counterfeit, Christianity. And he provides three tests that he keeps repeating these tests in cyclical form, and those tests are doctrinal, believing the right things about Jesus, who He is and what He's done. These tests are moral, living the right way, as a response to what Christ has done, and the relational test, loving one another. And that is the theme of this section of John's letter. He comes back to, again, loving your brother because God loves you. And when you think about the fact that God loves you, we need to be reminded that that love is undeserved, that God loved us even though we did not deserve the love of God. As sinners who had chosen to rebel against God and, and to go our own way and, and to try to cast off the restraints of God and His moral code. God chose to love us anyway. And so that love is undeserved and as Christians we are called to because of the love of God to pay that love forward. In times where that love may not even be deserved or even appreciated, but we are called to love our brother and sister because God loves us. John starts by showing us in verses 7 and 8 that love is expected of Christians. It's expected of you as a believer. He starts in verse 7. He says, Beloved. And that's a word he uses throughout the letter. It's a reminder that John cares for that church. It's a very pastoral term. His affection for those people. John loves them. And he wants to see them do right by God. But it's also a reminder that they are loved by God. That no matter what else takes place as a, as a saved person, you are loved by God. And that's proven through the cross. And he gets to that here in just a minute. But he says, Beloved, let us love one another. He's talking about other Christians. We're called to love all people, but there is something specific in Scripture about loving your fellow Christian, your brother and sister in the Lord. You share that common bond, you are family. And family ought to be able to love one another. And John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us. He includes himself in this. We as believers are called to love one another. Because love, first of all, originates from God's character. From God's character. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For, because love is from God. Love is from God. God is the source. Without God, there would be no love. God is love, he goes on to say in verse 8. God is love. Not only is he the source of love, he is the standard, the definition. What does it mean to love? Well, we've got to look to God. It flows from his character. You cannot have God without love, it's woven into his very nature. God is love. And to say that we do not have love is to say we do not have God. Love originates from God's character. It also demonstrates man's conversion. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves, present tense, that means it's an ongoing lifestyle. It's a a continual practice of yours. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Is born of God. It's a perfect tense. It means it's something that's happened in the past with ongoing effects. It's like when you throw a stone into the pond and all of a sudden those ripples go out. Because God, we are are born of God already, past tense. It has ongoing effects in our life. At least it should. If we are born of God, it's already happened. Ongoing residual effects. Everyone who loves is born of God already. It's past tense. Born of God, it's a passive verb. We are born because God has done something to us. You're here today not because you chose to be born from your parents. That was not your choice. It was something that was done to you. To be born of God means that something divine, supernatural, beyond our control happens to us. Now we respond to that in kind. Scripture shows that is our responsibility through faith and repentance. But we are born of God. It's a work of God in your life. But he also shows that if we are born of God, we will carry the family resemblance. You notice sometimes children look just like their parents or even their grandparents. There's a a family resemblance. If we are born of God, and guess what? God is love, then we will reflect that in our life. We will carry the family resemblance, our father's resemblance, by loving one another. It demonstrates that we are a child of God. It demonstrates that we are His. He says, everyone who, is born, uh, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Not knows about God, but actually knows Him. You see, there's a, there's a big difference in that. You can know a lot about somebody. You can go to the internet and you can Google somebody and go to their Wikipedia page and learn everything you need to know about them, facts about them. But they wouldn't know you from Adam if they met you in public. You can know a lot about somebody, but not know them intimately. And John is saying everyone who loves demonstrates that they know God on a first-hand basis through personal experience. They have a knowledge of God and His character. How do you know that? Because it flows out of them. Because they're born of Him. It shows that they know Him. Then in verse 8, that, that's the, verse 7 is the, the, the positive side of that. If you love, it shows you've been born of God and you know God. But on the other hand, the negative side of that, verse 8, the one who does not love, continually, present tense, does not know God. If you don't love, You don't know God. A lack of love reveals a lack of God. If God is love, if you are born of God, there will be love radiating from you. If you do not love, that means God's presence is not there. And so love originates from God's character and it demonstrates man's conversion. Love is expected of you as a Christian You know, one of the most undistinguishable smells in all of creation cat urine. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I love y'all. I can just say that and already your your face begins to pucker and you're like, ooh man. You know, it's strong, isn't it? It's a strong there's no doubt about it. You can be walking into a, a, a business establishment and all of a sudden you catch that whiff and you know that there's been cats out in the bushes. Or maybe you've had cats in your house and has gone through spraying problems and you know when you find it, it's undeniable. The evidence is strong. (coughs) Our smell as Christians ought not to be like cat urine, but it is love. It is love. It should be so strong, it's undeniable. A person should say, I have no doubt that he or she is saved. And you say, why is that? They just love so much. They have such a high degree of love towards others. Undeniable. That should be us. Love is expected of us as Christians because God is love and love is from God and we as believers are born of God through faith in Christ. Love is expected of Christians. Love is exemplified by Christ verses 9 and 10 Jesus is the template you know when you're trying to cut out arts and crafts and you start with a template of it's like a star and if you don't know how to necessarily draw or or cut out a star you use a template and you draw and it helps you come out with the right shape well Jesus is the template for love when it says God is love well what does that look like and God says look to my son look to the cross Love is exemplified by Christ. He sets the bar very high. And we need to strive by His grace to reach that. How do we know love is exemplified by Christ? We see in verse 9, first of all, the arrival of the Son. John says, by this, in other words, here is the, the example, here is the evidence. It is by this that the love of God was manifested in us. It, 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 it arrived on the scene. It was made known. It came to pass. The love of God was manifested in us. Well, us as believers, but particularly by John the Apostle. Remember, we established at the very beginning of our study John was there. He walked with Jesus, he saw, he heard. He touched, he experienced the physical reality of Jesus in this world. He and the apostles, they are the experts on all things Jesus. If there's anything that someone tries to teach or, or, or show about Christ that doesn't match up with what the apostles say about Jesus, they're wrong. John was there. eyewitness testimony. He says, by this the love of God was manifested in us so that we know what love is. And how do we know that? He says in verse 9, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. That God has sent. Again, past tense. It already happened. God did something in human history that altered eternity. He sent. The word sent comes from the same word as apostle. One who is sent out on a specific mission. God sent out on a specific mission, a rescue mission, his only begotten Son. That speaks about his unique nature, his unique person. There's no one else in creation like the Son of God. We become children of God by faith. Jesus is the Son of God by his very essence. He radiates from the Father, always has been for all eternity the only begotten Son of God. God did not send an angel. God did not send a good man. God sent His only begotten Son into this world. Why? John says, so that we might live through Him. That we might live through Him. In other words, the implication is if God did not send His Son we would not live. John is saying that in its very essence, we are dead in our trespasses and sins without Christ. That we are all sinners by nature, we are all children by wrath and sons of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2. Without Jesus coming into this world, we would not have life. There would be no opportunity to have eternal life, abundant life, a meaningful life. All those things would be impossible had not God sent His only begotten Son into this world. This world that is broken. This world that is contaminated. This world that is cursed by sin. By Adam and Eve's sin. All this world has fallen into the enemy's grasp and God sent His Son into this world. Your world. Your world that sometimes feels like it's broken and it's falling apart and it's hopeless and it's dark. God sent His only begotten Son, His precious Son, into this world so that you might live. But it's only through Him. He's the only option. There's no option B, plan B. It's only through Jesus. He says that no one comes to the Father unless He comes through Him. Jesus is the only hope you have. He's the only hope any of us has. He's the only hope this world has. So that we might live through Him. That's the arrival of the Son. And you can't help but read that verse and think John 3.16. And the reason why is the same guy wrote it. (laughs) For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's saying the same thing here, just in a different way. It's the same truth. The arrival of the Son, but also verse 10, He came for the atonement for sin. Jesus came to give us life, and the only way He could come to give us life is that He would give His own life. It is through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God that you have the opportunity to have life. Verse 10 says, In this is love. Again here, John is saying, you want to know what love is? Follow this. He says, in this is love. Not that we loved God. We were unlovable. We didn't love God, but that God loved us. And He sent, there's the same word, word, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word. We've already seen it in chapter 2. It means atoning sacrifice. It means one who bears the wrath on behalf of another. It means even though you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you deserve the judgment and condemnation of God, you deserved hell because of your sin and your rebellion, but Jesus came to absorb that for you. He came to absolve you of that by placing Himself underneath the wrath of the Father for your sin and for my sin. It's because of the blood of Jesus that you and I have the opportunity to have life, to have our sins forgiven, to have our sins atoned for, to know that we've been set free from the bondage of sin and all of its effects, and we have the love of God, the forgiveness of God because of what Jesus has done for us the atonement of sin. He sent His only begotten Son into this world to give us life through His death. And unless we miss this, you can't help but see how God views sin. Sometimes we think, ah, a little white lie, a little, you know, harmless sin. It cost God His Son it costs the son his life the gravity of sin each and every sin unless we somehow miss that truth John shows us right here your sin costs Jesus' life and not just any death but death on a cross the most inhumane of all execution devices ever invented by a depraved mind the cross. Jesus endured that for you because of sin. There is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing that God disgusts and despises. It's sin. And the cross is proof of that. It's the evidence of the gravity of sin. Love is exemplified by Christ. The old saying is, talk is cheap. You know, anybody can say, I love you. Anybody can say that, but do they actually mean it? How do, they, how do they prove that? You know, actions speak louder than words, don't they? Somebody can say, I love you, and then go out and do the most unloving thing towards you. But God, according to Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love for us. God shows and proves His love for you in that while we were yet sinners, while you did not love God... God took the initiative to love you. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Talk is cheap. God says, I love you. I'll prove it. Look to the cross. Look to my son. Love is exemplified by Jesus, by Christ. So what does that mean for us? Verse 11, love is extended to the church. It's extended to the church. In other words, how does love function in the local body of believers? What's the what's the application for us? Verse 11, beloved, again, John says, folks, I love you all. It's because I love you, I want to see you do what's right in the eyes of God. I want what's best for you, what's best for you is to follow God. You are loved by your 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 elder John, you're loved by the Father. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other words, the same way that God loves you ought to be the same way you love your fellow brother and sister in the Lord. In the same way, well, how does God love us? We've already looked at that. Love is, first of all, supernatural. Supernatural. The word for love that John uses throughout is agape. Agape means divine love, supernatural love, love from God. Love is from God, he already said, and he said God is love. Right away, love is supernatural. It's not your natural response. Your natural response is is selfishness. But divine love is selfless. It's supernatural, which means you cannot love in its truest form without God love is listed as the, the, one of the fruits of the spirit actually it's the first one that Paul lists in Galatians 5 love which means in order to truly love someone you must be born again and you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow that transforming power of the Spirit to enable you and empower you to truly love. Now, I'm not saying a lost person can't love, because we're all made in the image of God. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. We all bear the image of God. If God is love, there is some aspects of every human being that enables us to love. But you cannot truly love in a godlike way without God. It's supernatural. You need the Lord. You need Him to direct you, to guide you, and empower you to truly love your brother and sister. Love is supernatural. Love is sacrificial. We've seen that already. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent His only begotten Son. God acted on His own initiative, and He did something that cost Him something, something valuable, His only begotten son God sent him into this world to die for sin love cost Jesus something it cost him his life love will cost you something you will have to pay something to truly love somebody like Christ loved you you can't just love out of the overflow of what you have it must cost you something deep. Our church, whenever we have the Lord's Supper, we, connect, we, we collect a benevolence offering that money is used to, to help uh, church members who have financial needs. From time to time that happens. We, we come through crises, health issues, unemployment uh, problems. Things happen in life. We, we know that. And so this is a way for us to tangibly love one another it's an offering that we collect and sometimes we just kind of you know I'll throw a buck or two in there but maybe God is leading you to do something sacrificial in this and saying you know what if I want to truly love my fellow church member in need then maybe I'll give to the point where maybe it hurts a little bit but you know what That's Christ like in this is love Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Love is sacrificial. It might cost you financially. It might cost you your pride, where you have to swallow your pride and admit your wrongdoing to somebody. It might cost you your your time and your energy. You've got to go out of your way. You've got to adjust your schedule to demonstrate love. But love is sacrificial. If it's not sacrificial, how can you call it love? At least how can you call it Christ like love. What will love cost you in the church? Love is sanctifying. Christ's act of love was purposeful. Jesus didn't just come and die on the cross just for any old reason or or just to, to provide an example, He came to save you from sin. He came to sanctify you, to make you holy, to make you more like Him. So Christ-like love has holiness as its motivation. If you want to love somebody, you help them become more like Jesus. The word love gets thrown around so much in our culture today and it's almost come to the point where we think love means being nice, and being tolerant if you're mean you don't love if you don't accept anything and everything is okay you don't love but Jesus came to purchase your salvation from sin and it took death it took his blood to purchase your salvation love has sanctification as its goal you can't say you love somebody without leading them to co- towards Christ and become more like Jesus. If your action or your encouragement leads a person away from God, away from God's revealed Word, His truth, that shows us what He demands and expects of us, if your love, so-called, leads a person away from that, that's not love, that's hate. And sometimes it means tough love, as we talked about earlier. You do something that they say, well, that's mean, but I'm doing that for your best interest. I love you too much to see you harm yourself and do something that leads to your destruction. Love is tough sometimes, but love must be balanced with truth. It's not sugarcoating anything or accepting anything goes because I want you to be happy. No, love is not about happiness. It's about holiness. It's about you and I helping one another strive to be holier, to be more like Christ. I can't do that on my own. I can't become more like Jesus just on my own. God uses and works through the church, He works through you to enable me to be more like Christ. It's mutual. Love is sanctifying. Helping one another become transformed to the image of God's Son. Love is extended to the church. You need to love your brothers and sisters in Christ because God loves you. What if this morning I went around and asked every one of you personally if you loved everybody here today? You know, look around the room and see who's here. Now, if I went to you and say Do you love so and so? I might ask Elaine, you know, Elaine, do you love Carolyn? Do you love Mary? And and around the room. And we know Elaine. Of course, Elaine's going to say yes. (laughs) She loves everybody, she's church mama. (laughs) But yeah, what if I went around and asked every one of you? You know, you would like to say, Yeah, I do. Some people are harder to love than others. And all of us are that way from time to time. And it takes effort. What if I went around and asked you, do you love everybody in this room? You might say, well, you know, we've got guests. And so you say, I don't really know them. But what about those who've been coming for a while? There are some folks that are newcomers, been here a few weeks, maybe a month or two. And you say, well, I really don't know them. Well, whose fault is that? Church, it's not up to the newcomers to get to know us in order for us to love them, that responsibility falls on y'all. If there's somebody new in this church or somebody that's been coming a little bit you don't know them, you don't wait for them to take the initiative to get to know you. You go to them. You learn their name. You learn where they live. You, you learn things about them. I'm not saying be nosy or, or stalk them, <laughs> but get to know them. That's on you so do you love everybody here today now what if I flip that around what if I went around this room and asked everybody in this room do you think they love you in other words i will go around and ask you do you think Elaine loves you well of course you're going to say yes Elaine loves everybody but if I went around this room and said do you think so and so loves you do you think brother so and so loves you do you think sister so and so loves you would you be comf- com- uh, confident and comfortable to say everybody in this room loves you? And if not, what are you prepared to do about it? Again, you don't wait for them to come to you. If you realize that there is tension in, and there is some divisiveness in the relationship, maybe the relationship's not as strong as it needs to be, you don't wait for them. You go to them and say, look, I love you and I want to work through whatever's going on here. Now I know everybody in this church if there was a need and somebody was down and out I know everybody in this church would would come through and be there for everybody. I know that. when the, When the going gets tough everybody in here would be there for everybody else. But what about in the in-between times? when we sometimes allow personality clashes and disagreements, when we, when we allow relationship tension to steal our joy, or we allow ministry to be interrupted because of conflict, what, what do we need to do in those times? we need to do what scripture says Matthew chapter 18 and we go to our brother and we sit down and we, we get a cup of coffee together and we say you know what we need to hash through some things and that's not always pleasant I know that but again the right things are not always the easy things but what will happen as a result of us doing that on the end on, on the other side you know, love will just grow even stronger and then Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother listens to you, you've won your brother. That's the goal. Reconciliation is always the goal. He says if that doesn't happen, you bring a witness or two with you. And you can't see through that process if you can't work it out. And so there are, there are steps established in Scripture, but the bottom line is we want to become more like Christ. And His love is supernatural, it's sacrificial, and it's sanctifying. It's sanctifying. Our love for one another needs to reflect that because love is expected of Christians. And we look to the cross because love is exemplified by Christ. And because God loves you, you to turn right around and love your brother and sister because love should be extended to the church. What can you do? Sometimes you must love the unlovable. You must love the unlovable because... You didn't love God. In fact, you were at enmity with God and God chose to love you. And through His initiative, He reconciled you to Himself. We are called to do the same thing to one another in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Word. We thank You, God, for the truth That shows us, Lord, who you are. Yes, God, you, according to your word, you are holy and you are righteous and you are just. And because of that, Lord, you must punish sin. That's your character. But the scripture we read today says God is love. Doesn't mean you're not those other things because you still are. But you are love. And out of love, you sent your Son to save us from sin. And the only way He could do that was through the power of the cross through the shedding of His blood. Today, God, we come before you. We confess that we are all sinners. Confess our need for you. We need forgiveness. We need grace. And we thank you, God, that grace is readily available to us because Christ died for us. We claim nothing but the power of the gospel today, that good news, that message that Jesus saves through His death, burial, resurrection. We have peace with God. And Lord, as we are born of You through faith and repentance in the power of Your Spirit, God, enable us to carry on the family resemblance by being those who love. And sometimes love Is not returned. Sometimes love is tough. Sometimes love is sacrificial. God, help us to truly love in tangible ways, in real ways. Not just say it, but God, through actions, back it up. And God, we can't do that without You. We need You to save us. We need You to sanctify us. Make us more like Christ. Lord, we come before You humbly today acknowledging our need for You. Lord, maybe somebody here today, somebody within the sound of my voice has never trusted themselves to Jesus. Maybe they've never humbled themselves acknowledging their need for Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, convict them of sin today. Holy Spirit, show them the truth of the Gospel today that God is love. He's ready to forgive if we come to Him through Christ, through His his cross the wondrous cross. We thank You, Lord, and pray Your will be done in this time of decision. In Jesus' name, Amen. I for everyone that stands we have this hymn of decision. If God is leading you to respond in any way, would you come? Perhaps you know you need to be saved. This is the opportunity to come and do that. Maybe you need to rededicate your life, join this church, be baptized. The altar is open for prayer if you want to come and kneel and pray. I'm here to pray with you, counsel you. Would you come as God leads you and as we sing?